Amen. Thank you, Brian. This morning, if you brought your Bible, you can turn to the Old Testament, and we're going to go to Second Chronicles, which conveniently enough is located right after First Chronicles. And in Second Chronicles, we will be in chapter 20. You can slide that direction. Again, if you need a Bible, feel free to grab one and keep one from the back. We are in week two of a six-week series examining from the Scripture the six values or core values that we have here at New City Church, which are the things that we believe God has specifically called this church in this city in this time and place to focus on. Among the 10,000 good things that there are from the Lord under heaven, these are the six that we want to focus in as a church. Last week, we began week one, most importantly, with proclaiming grace, the value of proclaiming grace from 1 Corinthians 5 chapter 15. Today we come to the second that is praying dependently. Praying dependently, and we will see that play out from 2 Chronicles 20 this morning. As we consider prayer, why it matters, why it's important, I think it's, the reality is, is all believers, we all understand that prayer is important. We all understand that we need to pray, but if we're honest, and we should be honest, and we can be honest today, most of us will tend to struggle to actually pray. Most of us believe God is God, therefore He is in control, and so we ought to look to Him in prayer. We've heard verses like Philippians chapter 4 that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's prayer. And we understand that praying is simply talking to God and that reading God's Word is God speaking back to us. And yet most of my conversations, at least with fellow believers in the United States, is that we intended to pray, but we got busy, we got sidetracked, and we just haven't really prayed much this week. Don't feel like you were alone in that, but feel uh, excited about going to the Scripture to learn more about it. Second Chronicles 20 is one of my favorite passages really in all the Bible, but particularly in the Old Testament, because when I read this story, it makes me want to pray. It fills my heart with reminders of who I am in this story and who God is in this story, that I am very small, that he is very big, but he cares. He's not just big and powerful. He is big and powerful and loving and caring. He reveals himself as a good father who is available 24-7 that when I call upon him, he will always come through. He will never let me down. And so we're going to see that play out here in this story this morning in which God's people in the Old Testament, specifically Judah, which was the southern half of Israel, the southern kingdom of Israel, at this particular juncture in their history, they're led by a man named King Jehoshaphat, and I will mispronounce that multiple times throughout the remainder of the sermon. Um, they were, all of these people, Judah, they were hopelessly outnumbered. They were hopelessly outnumbered by an enemy that was attacking, and God's people had absolutely no chance, no chance of victory, but God, but God. And so we come to Second Chronicles 20 now. Let's read the first four verses before we then stop and pray and ask for his guidance in his word this morning. Chapter 20, verse 1, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. 
and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story in advance. Thank you that their story is our story. And so we look to you, God, with utter dependence, with joy and with victory in our hearts. We declare that we need you this morning. And Father, would you teach us how to say that in prayer more and more, and call upon the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And it is to you we look to this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Five ways to do battle by praying dependently this morning. Five ways to do battle by praying dependently. Number one, straight from the first two verses. Number one, admit that you can't win the battle on your own. G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. You're welcome for that 80s reference, but it's the truth. You need to know, you have to admit that you can't win the battle on your own. There is a war. Believer, today, right here and now, there is a war. There is an enemy. You cannot defeat them on your own, and it absolutely is too great for you. And they're already here. Bad news. We cannot overcome the sin in our lives on our own. We can certainly not overcome the sin in our world that we see pervade everywhere. We cannot overcome the trials that we face in this life on our own. And praying is confessing. I'm going to use the word confessing, and let's make sure we understand it biblically. Prayer is confessing that you need help. From the God who is King of kings, Lord of lords, supreme over all, I need your help. Four times in this passage, in chapter 20, it says that the army that was coming was a vast army. They're big, they're bad, and we can't handle them. It says that the enemy came from beyond the sea, meaning that they came from far away, and so they were unexpected. It also says that they approached along the Dead Sea route, which was a surprising way for an enemy to attack. It also says that the enemy's current location is a place called En Gedi. I'm pretty proud of myself for pronouncing all those cities and locations and peoples correctly thus far. En Gedi is 25 miles away from where they are standing. The point is, God's people are unprepared, outnumbered, and out of time. And maybe you found yourself there as well. And the joy of the gospel is that we can admit we are outnumbered, we are unprepared, and we are out of time. It's interesting, though, at the same time, this enemy that is attacking is not new. Uh, these people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they have been attacking and fighting Israel. At this moment, when this story is happening, they've been attacking for 600 years. This is not new information. And yet, somehow, God's people are surprised that they are being attacked. Believer, follower of Jesus, do not be surprised when the enemy attacks If you follow Jesus, if you declare him to be Lord and Savior, Jesus already told us this multiple times in the book of John. Do not be surprised that Satan has placed a target on your back. Do not be surprised. So prayer. On the surface, most of us, again, in our heads, we understand the need to pray. And we will say things like, I'm too busy. 
I'm too distracted. And those are true to a degree, but if we go down another level and look at our hearts, this is the issue, I believe. Our hearts refuse to admit that we can't do it ourselves. That is the way that our hearts operate, is I can handle this. I don't need anyone's help. Our heart refuses to admit this to ourselves. But the reality is, is the battle, and it is a battle, for a healthy marriage, the battle to raise children who love Jesus, the battle in your calling in career or education, the battle for successful ministry, even here at New City Church, it is one that we cannot do on our own, and we can take joy in just admitting that fact. I spent Thursday evening and Friday morning with five other church planters that are in our network of church plants here in uh, the state of Florida, and one of the things that we were talking about, themes that we were addressing, was why, what is it in our hearts that make us tend to live independently from the Lord Jesus Christ? And the words that, that we came up with for ourselves were, were things like the idol of control. I've got I've to feel like I'm in control of all the things. Or fear of failure or fear of man. What will this person, what will these people think of me? Pride. I want to do it my way for, for my glory. These are the things that sometimes we don't even realize seep in. And yet the scripture tells us that praying dependently means admitting joyfully that you need God's help. That's number one. Number two, and we see this in verses three and four, do battle by praying to the Lord. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Do battle by praying to the Lord. Verses 3 and 4, look at exactly what happens. This is Jehoshaphat's story. He was afraid, and so he immediately prayed and fasted. I love that. There's no shame in being afraid. His immediate response that we can learn from is what he does next. Now, with your kids, with our kids, one of the things that we're trying to do, and we're not perfect at it, but when an Amber Alert pops up uh, on our phone, um, when we see a traffic accident, we, we drive by a traffic accident, or when the inevitable life with children, the bumps and the bruises happen, and the tears come, we try to immediately respond by praying. We're teaching them that there is no crisis too small or too big for God to handle and for God to care about. Teenagers and adults, it is oftentimes very easy for us as believers to say, I will pray for you. But God calls us to do something a little bit more prayerful and dependent. Can I pray for you right now? And then pray. And whatever awkwardness or fear or anxiety or fear of man or I don't know the words to say suddenly melts away when you go, this is not about me. I just want to pray and talk to God and teach people the power of being able to call out to God by just going to prayer. In a crisis, though, we see Jehoshaphat, and it says specifically, the Bible uses these words, that he set his face to seek the Lord. Believer, is your heart troubled by the things of this world? Are you troubled by what you see in this world? I am. Look at the scripture just a few chapters earlier, and we know this one, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what we want. That's what we need. But focus this morning on that idea of seeking the Lord's face. 
At the end of every service, I bless you from Numbers chapter 6. I didn't make it up. What's one of the lines in that blessing? May he make his face. May God make his face to shine upon you. There's this relationship when you're face to face, and there's such glory in it when it's us and God that it speaks of shining. But here's the deal. When we run into crisis, many of us run the opposite direction from God. And God is saying, I am always available. The good news is you can seek my face in prayer. God wants to know you face to face. And so Jesus says exactly that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. Everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. I'm always available. Face to face, says the Lord. Here's another interesting little tidbit. Jehoshaphat led a culture of prayer. Oh, how we need this in our lives, in our families, in our church. Jehoshaphat led a culture of prayer. He called a meeting in response to a crisis. There is an attacking army. That's a good reason to call a meeting, not a strategic meeting. No battle plans. He called a prayer meeting. Do you see that? The enemy is coming. They're already here. Let's have a prayer meeting. It's completely counterintuitive, but it's absolutely what they should be doing. And by the way, Jehoshaphat is the only king in all of Second Chronicles who calls for his entire nation to have a day of prayer and fasting. He stands out for that reason. He's the only one who recognized in the face of trouble, this is our response. And notice that everyone was invited. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, every race, male, female, old, young, even the babies, everybody was invited because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everyone can come to Jesus. Everyone is invited. And it's interesting that there is unity for all of those believers, whatever, and I'm sure they were neighbors that were angry at other neighbors about where those fence posts were, but they gathered together to pray together in unity because they recognized that they had at least two things in common. I can't do this myself, and I need King Jesus. And that was more than enough to bring unity. This is one of the reasons why we have a weekly prayer meeting, a prayer team that gathers before church to pray. And it is a reflection of the entire church. When I was 21 years old, I went on a short-term mission trip for two months during the summer, and I served with a church of about 100, 150 people in Mexico City. The church gathered at 9 a.m. Worship started at 10, but at 9 a.m., every single person, man, one, boy, and girl, baby, was in that room for the prayer meeting. Every single person pouring out their hearts together to the Lord for an hour. And then church started at 10, and nobody was late because they're already all there. It was an amazing thing to see these guys, and I was humbled as I looked at what the heart of these believers in Christ from a different culture, how much they get prayer, and, and how much I, in my experience, did not. And it changed the way that I view prayer, and it changed my vision for a church praying. It is an open invitation for everybody. You do not have to recite a prayer to demonstrate your capacity to pray. We just gather and we talk to God. And we bring our needs and we bring our, our praises, and we'll get into that a little bit more. One last thought, though. If we skip ahead to verse 13, and I don't want to miss this point. Verse 13, it's going to tell us this. 
Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Again, everybody is there. I want you to see, though, if we think church, now let's think family. In the face of crisis, husbands and fathers are leading their families to Jesus in prayer. Do not miss that. But here's the deal. Let's not wait for a crisis to start doing it, okay? Husbands, lead your wives in prayer. I know it's hard sometimes. Wives, pray with your husbands. I know it's hard sometimes. Parents, pray with your kids. Doesn't matter what age they are. If they're 75, praise the Lord, pray with them. If they're two, praise the Lord, pray with them. Pray for them. Pray for them in front of them, but pray for them. Teach them what it means to live dependently upon Christ, praying dependently. This verse teaches us that it's a family decision to do battle in what the Scripture says is a crooked and depraved generation and do battle by praying to the Lord. Number three, do battle by using all the weapons of prayer available. If we look now at verses 5 through 12, we actually get Jehoshaphat's entire prayer that he prays in front of the entire nation. And what I want to pull out for you is four things that take place not just in his prayer, but throughout prayers in the Scripture. They are A-C-T-S, Acts. And many of you will be familiar with this acrostic. It stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and supplication just means asking for things, but S sounds a lot better than acta, so we go acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We see this same format of prayer in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray in Matthew 6. We see it in almost every New Testament instruction on how to pray, and we see it in the Psalms constantly, which are essentially prayers that have been written down. In our CBR, or community Bible reading, we have that same structure. They didn't think of it either. They took it from the scriptures. That is, there's four little boxes, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And the idea is that as you take in, as you read, as you hear from God's word, that it would direct you in your prayers to be able to adore God. Praise him. To confess, Lord, this is where I'm weak and struggling or sinful, and this is where I need your help. To thank him which sometimes is the hardest box, and then to ask for the things that we need in supplication. So in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6 and 7, we see adoration. This is Jehoshaphat praying in front of the nation, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He's adoring God. He's praising God because he's saying, God, you are supreme over this, and so we trust you. And then he's referring backwards as he looks into the future. He's going back to the past and saying, God, you've been faithful. God, you've made promises, and I'm coming back to you in praise saying, we claim those promises on our behalf. And then he confesses. We see this in verse 8 and 9, but actually the most clear place it shows up in this story is way back at verse 1. They confess, they admit right off the bat, God, we need your help. We cannot do this alone. The Bible does not say in chapter 20 anywhere that the reason that they were being attacked was because they were sinful. 
And that's interesting because many times we will be attacked and it is not the result of something bad that you did. However, if we go back to the previous chapters, the two chapters before, 18 and 19, a prophet comes and tells Jehoshaphat specifically that they are being brought judgment. They have brought judgment on themselves for their wickedness. And so throughout Scripture, we see this confessional moment, but it's always couched in the reality of the gospel. Confession without the gospel is a waste of time. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't need any other prophet, you don't need any other priest, you don't need any other king. Only Jesus can and will always answer that prayer, yes, Father, I, I admit, I confess the ways that I have made mistakes. Forgive me. He will always answer that prayer, yes. And then there's thanksgiving. Jump ahead again in the text to verse 21. He, that is the king, appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That phrase shows up over and over and over again throughout the Psalms in particular. But notice this, before God answered the prayer, they gave thanks. That's interesting, isn't it? Before God answered their prayers, they gave thanks because they had already decided during their old-fashioned prayer meeting that they were gonna thank God regardless of what happened. Don't believe me? Look at verse nine. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house, the house of God, and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Whether you answer our prayer the way we want or not, we're not leaving. We trust you, God. We trust you that we call out to you that you're going to hear our prayer and you will save us. There's faith there. There's tenacity there, even in their thanksgiving and in their supplication. Not until the end do they actually get to, oh, hey, by the way, there's a, a wild horde down the street that's coming, verses 10 through 12. Actually, verse 12, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You can ask God for things that you need. You can complain about the enemy. You can cry out for justice. You can pour out your whole heart, and God can handle it. I love that fact. There's nothing that I can say that God is going to be surprised by. There's nothing that I can say that God's going to go, we're done. He can handle it. Praying, to, don't sanitize your prayers. He doesn't need it. Talk to the Lord. Praying dependently is an attitude that says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I want to give you, I, I've told you each week, I want to give you a specific application for this week as to how to live out this value, because if we're not really doing it, it's not really a value. This week, not to impress God, but because you have God there wanting to hear. My challenge, my application to you is this. Make it your goal to pray dependently every day next week. Seven days in a week. 
Make it your goal to pray dependently and, and read God's word. The two go together. Make it your goal every day this week. Doesn't have to be an hour long. There, the Lord did not give us time constraints. I'm asking you this week to pray in a fresh way. Every, just every day this week, what would it be like to spend a few minutes in prayer in God's word? There's the challenge. Number four, and we'll come back to that. Number four, do battle by listening to God's word. I just said, the, the two are inexorably tied together. This is how it plays out in this story. Number four, do battle by listening to God's word. We see this in verses 14 through 17, picking up in verse 15. And he said, this is a prophet speaking the word of God to his people. Okay, so this is the word of God. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Here's the word of God. Do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Get that? Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord." On your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. The Bible literally says, listen to the word of God. This is why personal worship or devotions and corporate worship, Sunday morning, what we're doing right here and now, it involves listening to God's word and letting that direct your praying back to God. I love you. Don't fill your mind with Fox News or CNN. Don't fill your mind with Facebook or Twitter. Do not fill your mind with some person who falsely claims to be a modern-day prophet who speaks for God. Do not fill your mind with those words. Fill your mind with the word of the Lord. Fill your mind with that. Because God's words to you, to them and to us, are this. Do not be afraid or discouraged at the enemy that is in front of you. Do you need that word this morning? God wrote it for you. Contrary to the bumper stickers, God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. He will give you more than you can handle so that as a result you will recognize what has been universally true since before you were born, which is you cannot handle it yourself. Lean on me. Trust me. I am a good father. Child of God, do not live in fear of the battle that is in front of you, live in victory. Because Jesus has already won. Yes, there is a battle. Yes, there is an enemy. Yes, Satan is real. Jesus has already won. Easter and the resurrection, it's about more than bunnies. Jesus has already won. Satan is living on borrowed time. You are not on the losing side of the battle or the war. Jesus has already won. And he's coming back at his preferred time, to take us home, to be with him forever in victory. Do not live in fear. Do not live in loss. Live in victory because he's already won. That's why the Bible says the battle is not yours but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. God here in this moment, he does not mean that theoretically. This is not a poetic illustration. He literally means you will not have to pick up a sword and fight this battle. I will fight it for you. 
It's the same with salvation. You cannot win this battle over sin. Jesus said, I will go to the cross for you. I will win it for you. Put down your sword, Peter. Just like God saved his people and defeated Pharaoh's army by drowning them in the Red Sea, victory is inevitable because God is sovereign. Sometimes in the book of 2 Chronicles that shows up where, like this story, God is about to dramatically intrude into human history. And other times in 2 Chronicles, it will describe it in a very normal, everyday, sort of natural way, and then it will come back to that same story, and it will say in 2 Chronicles, but the reality is, was even though we couldn't see it, God was behind everything that was happening. Either way, God is sovereign. And so it says, hold your position. Wait. Stand firm. Just trust me. See the salvation of the Lord. Do battle by listening to the word of God. Number five, fifth and finally, experience victory during the battle. Not after. Experience victory during the battle by praising God. See, God does this cool thing. He, br- he brings prayer and the word of God and worship all together, all the time. That's why when the church begins in Acts chapter 2, God says, get together a whole bunch, pray, worship me, and read the word of God. And then tell everybody else about it that you can and invite them in to do it with you. Verses 18 and 22. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. God wins. So you win. They lose. Now, put yourselves there. What should they have been doing? What should the people of God have been doing according to our natural, self-reliant, earthly mindset? Getting ready, making a plan, sharpening their swords, handling their business themselves is what the world would say they should have been doing. Definitely not bowing with their faces in the sand when the enemy is literally down the street. Can you imagine that? The whole nation, again, the babies are there. The worship leaders are there. The army is there. We're all going to march out in the middle of the desert. May this really happen. This is not a bed, it's a bedtime story, but it's a real-time story. We're all marching out. You can see the enemy coming. They have swords. They look ticked. You have the worship team. Let's go. 
and they're marching and they're getting closer. The enemy is coming closer. And the last thing that you do before engaging in battle is you put your face literally in the dirt. Guys, that's why people call Christians fools. You fool. Why would you trust God? Just wait. He's got it. Just wait. Humility before God will take you further than ability before man. Humility before God will take you further than ability before man. God-centered prayer will take you further than human-centered power. You don't believe that, but it's the truth. Worship was the catalyst to their winning. God doesn't need your worship. That's not what I'm saying. God doesn't need your worship. He welcomes it, though. He welcomes your worship, and it says that they sang praise together with a loud voice, and Jehoshaphat had the worship leaders lead the army and the people into battle, not the guys with the swords, the keyboard, led the battle, and they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever, and God brings victory as we worship. The Bible is clear that God stepped down when the singing began to go up. God stepped down when the singing began to go up, which tells us, first of all, the defeat of Judah's enemies happened before Judah's armies arrived. You understand that? God won the battle before Judah's army did anything. God won the battle before you did anything. The victory was supernatural. It was a miracle. Do we believe in miracles? Yes. This is one of them. God caused confusion among the enemies of his people, the Bible says, so that they actually destroyed themselves. So that's interesting. Give the enemy long enough, they will destroy themselves. You understand that? God helped them along the way to their destruction. Give the enemy, though, long enough, and they will self-defeat. But understand, believer, not one spoon was lifted to fight this battle. I don't know if they brought their swords or not. They didn't use them. They didn't need them because the armies of heaven came and did what we could never do. And their fear was overwhelmed with with praise. Jesus is a victorious king. Today, right now, this morning, Jesus is king of kings. And the arrival of the king was the ultimate intrusion of God into human history. He came as a baby. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. The king has come into the world to save sinners like me, to save sinners like us. And one day he will absolutely return to judge to bring justice and to renew the earth, to bring salvation. And we are told that every enemy and every friend one day will bow their knee together to King Jesus. Oh, how I pray that you bow that knee in joy and not in fear. But you will bow. And death and sin will be no more. Jesus is the perfect king. Jesus is the savior king. Jesus is the listening king. Jesus is the praying king because he is king of all kings. 
And so if you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the Bible is clear. Trust Father, Son, and Holy Spirit this day. And pray that simple prayer. I'm a sinner. I admit, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need you, Jesus, to save me from my sins. I need you to do for me what I could never do myself. And he will absolutely answer that prayer, yes, every single time. Fellow believer, I challenge you this week to pray dependently. Every day, next seven days, you're not earning brownie points. There is no scorecard. You're doing it because you want to talk to the God of the universe. Let's pray.